Turn, if you would, to the second chapter of the book of Hebrews. We made it through the first chapter last week. It only took us two lessons. That was very good. Let us remind ourselves the book of Hebrews is written to Christians who were Jews who are contemplating leaving the faith. They're either going back to Judaism or they're just leaving the faith totally. Why are they doing this? Well, we're beginning to see the beginning of persecution, so we'll see some of that throughout the book. But as we'll see in today's lesson, some of them just got tired of doing it. They just drifted away. And that's what we're going to talk about today, is drifting away. So to answer their questions regarding the faith, the author is beginning with a series of discussions about Jesus being better than. He's better than the prophets. That's the beginning of the book. In the old days, God spoke to us through prophets. Today, He speaks through us through His Son. Then he launched into a discussion about Jesus as being better than the angels. If you look at created beings, we see the angels who are spiritual beings. We see us that are um, human. I mean, we're physical, but we have a spirit. And then we see the rest of creation. And God says Jesus is better. He's better than the angels. And we see this through lots of Old Testament quotations. And we'll see more of that today. In fact, the writer is not through talking about angels yet. But before he continues, it's like he goes, oh, what am I saying? Wait a minute, I need to warn you about something. And we're going to see this throughout the book of Hebrews. He's going to talk about Jesus being better than, and then he's going to say, wait a minute. Let me remind you of something. And that's where we are at the beginning of chapter 2. Therefore, therefore, what's the therefore? It's there to remind us that because Jesus is better than, there's something we need to remember. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable... And every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? If I were very patient, we would spend this whole lesson simply looking at those two words, great salvation. Because what we're going to see is Many of us, many of those in the world around us, have experienced something to do with God, something to do with Christ. We have walked the aisle in a church. We have been dunked. We have been sprinkled. We've done something, and we just kind of got bored with it because we've lost the idea of how great salvation is. So let's go back to verse 1. Therefore, we must pay close attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. 
there are those who in their life have some major trauma and they just leave the faith. You know, their child dies and they want to blame it all on God and my sympathy is all for them. But they have this traumatic event and they just turn away from God and don't come back. That does happen. But more often than not, it's not one big traumatic event, but rather it's the slow day-to-day drifting away from the faith. You know what this is like. You've seen it maybe in your life. You've seen it in the lives of your children. You've seen it in the lives of your friends. You know, somebody who was very active in the church, and at some point they started just doing something else. They got bored with it. We were, I was talking right before class. I had a, a guy that I worked with who went to the same church that I grew up in, and he was probably 15 years older than me, and I asked him one day, why did you stop going to church? And he said, well, you know, I've heard all those stories. I know all that Bible stuff. And I'm going, are you nuts? I have never read the Bible and not learned something new out of it. Half the time I go, wow, what? But what happens is we just drift away. How does that start? What does that look like? We're going to see indications of that throughout the book of Hebrews. We're going to have a discussion about the need to meet together as believers. But you know what happens, right? Had a long Saturday night, just sleep in, no problem, won't miss it. And you know what? You're probably right. You won't miss it. But then you miss the second one and the third one. And pretty soon it's just not that big a deal. And pretty soon you are no longer spending time with fellow Christians. And you know what? They're probably a bunch of hypocrites anyway. I mean, let's face it, right? (laughs) And that's how we just begin to drift away. You're involved in some Bible study. It's a really good Bible study. But you know, it takes up a lot of time to do that lesson every week. And you don't want to do that. I mean, Wouldn't you rather watch something on TV or read that other book that you really wanted to read? And so you just stop. Nobody stuck a gun in your head and said, stop reading the Bible or I'm going to shoot you. Nobody stuck a sword in your back and said, if you continue to follow Christ, I'm going to kill you. Nobody did that. You just drifted away. And that's what we do. You see, we have this mistake if we think the book of Hebrews is just for Jews who became believers who are thinking about going back. It's for all of us. It's for all of us because all of us have the tendency, the natural propensity just to wander away. I mean... We see this in children, and we just think it's hilarious, right? The child just starts walking. 
They have no idea where they're going. They have full expectation that before they fall off a cliff, some adult's going to stop them. But they just wander off. And you go, how can they do that? Don't they know they need to stay close to that which provides them security? No, they just wander. And guess what? That's what we do. Remember, I told you a couple of weeks ago, I used the illustration of my beloved dog, right? Who just sniffs things. I have no idea what he's sniffing. She's sniffing. But she just wanders off smelling things. That's what we're doing. We're just drifting away. Hmm? Dog text? Yeah, yes. I have no idea what goes through her brain. Not a word. Anyway. Do you doubt for one second that that's what our tendency is to do. We get busy, so we start doing something else. We get busy, so we're less interested in spending time. We just get bored with it. We don't have a good relationship here, so we abandon all of that, and all of a sudden, we've drifted away. Therefore, he says, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. Now, The author and the receiver of this letter are in the early church. They have what we today would refer to as the Old Testament. They don't really have a New Testament yet. It's beginning to be formed. As the letters are collected, the Gospels are collected, so what they have is what they have heard. The apostle comes through and he preaches. Wow, that's really cool. I need to remember that. Yes, ma'am. Oh, did they take notes? I'm sure they did. What I suspect they did is if they got a letter, let's say they got a letter from Paul. You are at the church at Ephesus and you get a letter from Paul. First thing you do is the guy stands up front and he reads the whole letter to everybody. Okay? How would y'all like it if I just sat here and read the book of Ephesians? Okay? And then, he, and then somebody says, uh, could you do that again? And they do it again. And then somebody says, okay, do it again, but slowly. And then they begin to discuss what does that passage mean? No, I almost said verse, but you're right. I mean, you do know, right? It was a letter. It didn't have verse markings in it. I don't know about you. I do not write my letters with verse markings in them. Those came later as a convenience for us, which is good. Otherwise, you would never know where I was starting. But yes, they paid close attention to the things that they heard. Now, today... We have what they heard written down, and that's this. So I'm going to suggest to you, suggest that we are to pay close attention to the Word of God and the Word of God proclaimed. That's what we need to do. Why? Because we forget. 
You believe that? You go to hear a sermon, and it's a really good sermon. You just really get something out of it. In fact, you get so much out of it, you think, I never have to go back, because that was a really good sermon. I've heard everything that I need to hear. I heard the gospel. I heard it all. I don't have to ever go back. How long will it take for you to forget? I'm always amazed. God calls Moses to take the nation of Israel out of bondage in Egypt and take them to the promised land. And there is some trouble along the way. But every so often, every so often, God tells Moses to tell the people to make a pile of rocks. Why does he do that? They're just rocks. He does it so that they will remember. When you see that pile of rocks, remember that God opened up this river so you could walk across. When you see that pile of rocks, remember that God, throughout the life of the nation of Israel, God continually told them to remember. Why does he have to keep telling them that? Because we forget. Everything you know, you'll forget. If it's not refreshed, we return to the Word of God. We return to communion with fellow believers. We return so that we will remember. We remember so we won't drift away. That's why God gave us the word to begin with. Therefore, we must pay closer attention. I don't think I could get an honest answer out of you but I'll ask the question anyway. What do you pay close attention to? I mean, there are things we pay close attention to, right? I had my grandson this morning. I fed him breakfast. My wife got him ready for church. I brought him to church. Guess what? I am watching that grandson like a hawk. I am, why? Because I know that he has a tendency to just do things with no thought of the consequences. As I said earlier, if he plops off the bed, he expects some adult to catch him. So I pay close attention to the grandson. We pay close attention to that which we view be being valuable. I was reminded the other day I bought my wife, several years ago, a small diamond necklace. And one day, the diamond was missing. Now, she thought it probably fell off somewhere in the car. Let me tell you, I disassembled the inside of that car. <laughs> I'm not making this up. I took the seats out of this car looking for this diamond, which is, you know, that big. I might add, it wasn't in the car. But the next morning when I'm walking outside and the sun is coming up, there's this glitter on the driveway right behind the car. And it was the diamond. 
Why did I disassemble everything inside that car? Because that little piece of rock was valuable to my wife. And guess what? My wife is valuable to me. What do we pay attention to? That which we view as valuable. We actually had this lesson about 12 weeks ago. Remember Psalm 1, blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of the wicked, but his delight is in the law, and on it he meditates day and night. On the law he meditates. And then we did Psalm 119. Woo! Everything about God's word is better than diamonds. So here's the question. If I will disassemble the inside of the car looking for that little piece of glass, why do I get bored in the morning reading my Bible? You know the answer, right? We're just drifting. We do not understand the value of what God has given us. So, here you are. Ancient days. You were a good Jew. The Jews loved you because you were a good Jew. Then you heard the gospel and you responded to the gospel. Great. And the Christian community loved you, but the Jewish community hated you. And not only the Jewish community, the Roman community, because they didn't like the Christians either, and all of a sudden, you begin to feel, nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I think I'll eat worms. <laughs> and you begin to what? Drift away. Do you remember uh, Doug Cecil's sermon of a couple of weeks ago, where he talked about the different soils and the seed falling in the soil? And the seed that falls in the soil that grows real well, except also the weeds and the thorns grow real, real well, and they just choke it out. And when Jesus explains the story, he tells them, those are the worries and cares of this world, and they just choke it out. That's all they do. Now, do not raise your hand. How many of you have felt at different times in your life that the worries and cares of this world are just choking it out? I raised eight kids. There were a lot of worries and cares. <laughs> Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. The assignment would be that we contemplate what we have drifted away from and why we've done it. In the book of Revelations, we're told that the church had left its first love. Now, just an aside, just to keep you curious, in several lessons, we're going to have the most controversial lesson imaginable. Hopefully I won't be here and I'll let Don teach it. <laughs> and we'll talk about losing your salvation. We will, okay? Because the passage leads you to believe you can lose your salvation. And it's a hard passage, and everybody always asks me about it. And I shrug my shoulders. In a couple of weeks, more than a couple of weeks, I'll shrug my shoulders for you. 
Is he saying in this passage, you were a believer and you drifted away and now you're not? To me, the answer is no. We as a church, and I believe, that you cannot lose your salvation. What God has started in you, God will complete. If God has promised you eternal life, then you will have eternal life. He didn't promise you potential early eternal life. He promised you actual eternal life. And if it has the potential of falling away, then it's not true eternal life. It is potential eternal life. There are those within this class and others who believe that you can. And I might add, there are scriptures about people falling away. And that's what we're going to talk about in the weeks to come. But to remind you, right here, I believe we're talking about either those who had not really accepted Christ, and there are lots of those. I kind of follow the crowd. I go where the other people are going. And at some point, the troubles come, and I just go back to what I started with. And it never really took. And we accept that. There are those people. We also know that there are people who are, in fact, true believers who drift away. They're still saved. They're just no longer experience any of the joy and privileges of being a believer. They'll be in heaven. It's just going to be pretty miserable between now and then. More about that in the weeks to come. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by the angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. Let's just stop middle sentence. For we know that the message delivered by angels. What was the message delivered by angels? Thou shalt not... Thou shalt not, thou shall, thou shall, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And there's ten of them. You go, wait a minute. Didn't God give that to Moses on the mountain? Well, yes. But the scripture leads us to believe that the messenger, remember last week's lesson? What is the job of angels? They are messengers. The messenger were angels that delivered the law to Moses. There are two New Testament verses and there's one Old Testament verses that would lead you to believe the actual messenger were angels. Now, but I thought God did it. Well, God did do it. You know, if I get a letter from one of my children, I don't say, oh, I got a letter from the U.S. Postal Service. No, I got a letter from my child. It just happened to be delivered by the U.S. Postal Service. Now, don't get me started right now on the U.S. Postal Service, though. <laughs> I don't know if I told you this. My daughter, in January, got married. Her name is Tess. 
Scarborough. Now it's Tess Mata. Okay? So Tess filled out the little form at the post office that says, transfer my mail. But you know what? For the computers at the post office, Teresa looks a whole lot like Tess. So all of my wife's mail is now going to my daughter's apartment. And not only that, the U.S. Postal Service, being very diligent, actually tells the people to change the address on these things. So, I read my weekly Economist magazine, which, by the way, is in Teresa Scarborough's name. That's another long story. And guess where it's going? To my daughter's house. So I finally got the Economist to change the address back. Guess what? It started to come back to my house, except the post office told them to send it back to the other place again. <laughs> we know, we know that the origin of the message is what is of most importance. But the messenger of the law were the angels. Why is that important? Because we just finished chapter 1 talking about the fact that Jesus is better than the angels. And in just a moment, we're going to talk about it some more. So if the message received from the angels is true, how much more is the message that is received from Jesus Christ? The message declared by angels proved to be reliable. Once again, what is that message? Thou shalt have no other gods before thee. Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain, etc., etc., etc. The law was given, and guess what? The law is going to be fulfilled. We have talked about this. We talked about it in the book of Galatians. We even talked about it in Psalms. We have talked about it in every book of the Bible. Why? Because it is important that we understand it. Because if we don't understand it, we will not understand how great our salvation is. You ready for this? God says, here is my moral standard. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shall. Thou shalt not, thou shall. And just to make things clearer, Jesus shows up in the Sermon on the Mount and says, you know that law? It is applied not just to your external actions, but to the condition of your heart. You think, I've never committed adultery. And Jesus says, if you've done it in your heart, you are guilty. I have never murdered anybody. Yes, but if you are angry at your brother, you are guilty. You have broken the law. And what does it say? That message is reliable, and every transgression or disobedience receives a just retribution. What is a retribution? A consequence. What kind of retribution is this? It is a just 
retribution. You have a child that you are disciplining. There is a action and there is a consequence to that action. You are living in a organized society, a city, a county, a state, a nation, and each of those entities has laws that we hope were put in place to better facilitate human flourishing. No, we're not going to talk about that. We're going to assume that. And if you break one of those laws, there is a consequence for breaking that law. A fine, prison time, execution. Now, we know that when I am disciplining a child, I am, this may come as a shock, I am a sinner just like they are. Hopefully, I'm a little bit wiser. Hopefully, I'm a little bit more patient. Hopefully, I'm a lot of things, but I am still a fallen human being. When we appoint people to make the laws from our country, for our state, for our county, for our city. We acknowledge the fact that we want them to make laws that are good for human flourishing, and we acknowledge the fact they are sinners just like us. But when God makes a law, when God says this is how you ought to live, this is how you ought to live for true human flourishing, he's not making it up capriciously. He is making it up because it is right and it is just. It is correct. You know, I am speeding down the highway at 10 miles over the limit and I get pulled over and I want to argue with the cop why that speed limit is stupid. And you know what? It might be stupid. I don't know. He's probably not going to listen to me, but I could argue anyway. When God pulls you over, there's no grounds to argue on. None. Because his retribution is just. It is. There is no other standard. Now, just to make sure we understand, God is holy, God is love, God is a lot of different things. He is not a tyrant. He is not making laws on a whim. He has created us in a certain fashion, and he knows how we, as created beings, flourish. And he has given us instructions on how to do that. And when we choose to not follow that, there is just retribution. So, the angels delivered a message, 
a message that was reliable, a message that says, if you do this, you will receive this consequence. And we are told very clearly in the book of Romans what that consequence is. The wages of sin is death. That's it. In the Old Testament, it got a lot more complicated, but it got around to the same thing. You remember, right, in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses gets the nation together and he gets one group of people over on these hills and one group over on this hills, and this group tells all the blessings of following God. If you follow God, your crops are going to do well, your families are going to do well, you're going to chase your enemies all day long. And on the other side were the negative consequences. If you don't remain faithful to the covenant, your families are going to fall apart, your crops are going to fail, and your enemies are going to chase you all over the countryside. Pick one. That's what Moses is telling them. And by the way, he also tells them, you're a stick-necked, hard-nosed people, and you're probably going to do something wrong. Okay? So, here's the question. Don't raise your hand. How many of you have sinned? No, really. Let's, let's tighten the boundaries a little bit. How many of you have sinned in the last 24 hours? How many of you have sinned since you sat down in this room? Maybe you're okay on that one. I don't know. I don't know. But the message of the angels is that if you break the law, there is a just retribution. Every transgression or disobedience receives a just retribution. And here it comes. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Remember, here they are, good Jews, good Jews. We're going to assume they were good, law-abiding Jews. And they heard the gospel, and they went over here, and they became Christians, or so-called Christians. And they got fed up, and they're thinking, you know, people loved me when I was a good Jew. I think I'll go back to that. And the author of Hebrews is telling them, what are you going back to? If you reject the gospel, what are you going back to? You're going back to the message that was given to you by the angels. And I might add, this is not false doctrine that they were given. This was the word of God. But if you go back to that, where are you? You're toast. Do you remember our discussion in the book of Galatians? Do you remember that? Paul is chastising Peter. He's chastising those people, the Jews, who knew the, Ju the Judaism. They knew it backwards and forwards. 
He said, you know we couldn't keep that law. Why do you want to go back to it? You know it doesn't work. It was just the introduction to get you to the gospel. That's all it is. So here's the question. Today, you decide to walk away from all of this. Don't do it, but you decide to do it. You know what? I've had enough of that teacher. You know, the choir's not that good. The preacher's not that good. I think I'll just stay home. I'm not coming back. And my question is, where's plan B? What are you going back to? Eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow, you'll die. Is that what you're going back to? Here is the message of the book of Hebrews. There's the gospel. And there's no plan B. There's just not. Yeah. When asked by Jesus, are you going to leave me too? The reason we do not understand how great the gospel is is that we really do believe there's other possibilities. We do, okay? Many of us grew up in the church. Many of us have read the Bible since the day we could read. But we live in an age that is convinced without a shadow of a doubt that this is my opinion, and something else is your opinion, and something else is your opinion, and something else is your opinion, and you know what? If it works for you, God bless you. The author of the book of Hebrews doesn't live in that environment. His question to us is, if you walk away, what are you walking away Two. So, you're a good 21st century American. You've got lots of activities going on. You've got lots of things happening in your life. And at some point, you just decide that those are more interesting than coming here. And you know what? They might be. And so you just stop coming here. And you have a TV and an internet. I mean, we have invented the world of distractions. I mean, we have. Just ask my children if you can get them away from their screens long enough to ask them. Ooh, I didn't say that out loud, did I? What are you walking away to? You're walking away to pleasure. You're walking away to entertainment. You're walking away to um, a removal of the need for discipline, a removal of the need to obey the word of God. You're walking to a place where I am in control of my own destiny. You're walking to a place where you think you will be happy. And guess what? It's not there. And if it is there, 
Well, wait, I just said it's not there. But if it is there, the question, the next question is this. Five seconds after you die, five seconds after you die, where is that entertainment, that pleasure, all that other stuff? Either we are going to believe that the Bible teaches that there's going to be judgment, or we don't believe the Bible. And you know what? I can understand why you don't want to believe that. I really can. I don't want to believe it. I am constrained by the scripture to believe that when we die, there will be judgment. So while I can imagine there being a plan B, a plan C, a plan D, E, F, G in this life, I cannot imagine, in accordance with the Scripture, in believing that there's anything but God's way or destruction in the life to come. And it's not just destruction because he's miffed at you. It is, in fact, just retribution. Now, Let's back up to this life, though. Plan B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P don't work in this life either. I do not believe that you can violate the Ten Commandments and truly be happy in this life. I don't believe that without the presence of the Holy Spirit, you can experience true love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Now, you can fake it for a while. You can. You really can. With the correct alcoholic beverages, you can make yourself think that you are as happy as can be. And maybe you are. But I kind of doubt it. So here's the question, and I really want to just stop. Here's the question. What do we get if we neglect so great a salvation? Let me tell you the gospel every week in a nutshell. There is a just law, and you broke it. The just law says that there is a just retribution, and that's what you're going to experience. The gospel is Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty for that sin. It isn't that God decided, oh, never mind, I didn't see it. It's he saw it and he accepted the penalty, the payment that Jesus Christ paid. It's paid. And if you walk away from that, what are you left with? That's the question. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. 
while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. It was declared first by the Lord. Who gave this gospel to us? Jesus did. Okay? I am the way. There's no plan B. Follow after me. There's no plan B. Not only did he teach that, those who followed after him, the apostles. This is what leads us to believe that the author of the book of Hebrews probably was not one of those that walked around with Jesus. Because he's admitting, I've heard this too. He's admitting, I heard what you heard. Jesus proclaimed the gospel. The apostles proclaimed the gospel. And now here we are, and you're thinking about walking away from it. It was declared at first by the Lord. It was attested to us by those who heard. While God himself bore witness because of signs, wonders, and various miracles. Now, the apostle is walking through the town. He's just an average guy, right? He looks just like you and me, maybe shorter, maybe more Middle Eastern, okay? In case there's any question on anybody's part, the apostles were good Jews for the most part, okay? So he's walking through, and he's telling people what Jesus had done. And up walks somebody and says, you know what? My kid just died. And the apostle says, hang on. And he walks over there and he raises the kid to life. All of a sudden, this average guy that was walking down the street presenting the gospel, all of a sudden, he has your complete undivided attention. We talk about the miraculous gifts being given to the apostles in order to validate their authority to write and or see that it was written, the scriptures, which is what we have today. God spoke through the apostles and he granted them special authority in order to validate that message. Now, if we had another 30 minutes, we could talk about whether those are in place today or not. Our church believes that they were given at a particular point in time for a particular message and are not necessarily in place today. And I will preface that by saying that God can do anything God wants to do. Anytime, anywhere, God's going to do it. But we don't expect our pastor to go around performing signs and wonders because that's already been done. He preaches the message, the gospel, the scripture that was given to us and validated by the signs and wonders given to the apostles. There are those in the Christian community today who believe that these signs and wonders are still in place. I'm not going to argue with that, except to say that it is oftentimes problematic about what really is or isn't going on. Just saying. If we had another 30 minutes, we could talk about that. But what we can all agree on is that God gave 
miraculous gifts to the apostles to validate their message. So the author is telling, first you heard the gospel was given through Jesus, then it was presented to us by the apostles, and the apostles' message was validated by God through signs and wonders and miracles. Now, there is the end of that, which is by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Now, if you want to believe that these signs, wonders, and miracles are still in place today, then you're going to connect that with the gifts distributed by the Holy Spirit. If you don't believe they're necessarily in place today, you're going to say, see, he talks about signs, wonders, and miracles, and then he talked about gifts. We do believe in the existence of gifts. We believe that God has empowered certain individuals with certain gifts that are necessary for the proper functioning of the church. In fact, we go to a step beyond that, which is we believe that God has empowered everyone to do something, but not everyone doing everything. Does that make sense? Everyone can do something for the good of the congregation. What that means is that we believe that God has appointed some to be pastors, some to be teachers, some to have certain gifts. And elsewhere in the scripture, at least two or three different places, you can see lists of these gifts that God has given to us. That is another example given by God to validate the message. We do not see this in Old Testament Judaism, which is what they're thinking about returning to. <sighs> hmm. We'd better stop. It's too good. What is the point of all of this? We never did get back to the angels. That'll be next week's lesson. You know the point, because I've told you the point over and over again. We all have a tendency to drift away. And the writer is asking us, if you have a tendency to drift away, what are you drifting to? And the book of Hebrews is going to tell us that there is no plan B. Even if you're a good Jew, there is no plan B. If you're a good Jew, you want a high priest. Jesus is the high priest. If you're a good Jew, you want a sacrifice. Jesus is the sacrifice. If you, whatever it is you want, Jesus will fulfill it. So, Here's my question to us. No, forget y'all. Here's my question to me. What am I doing or not doing to pay close attention to what God has given us? Or am I allowing myself just to drift away? Because you know what? I could probably graph on a chart my life of periods where I kind of just, oh, well, okay. Why? Because we neglect it. We neglect so great a salvation. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you have provided salvation. Thank you for the great gift that you have given us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.